Cue the violins. Once a week, two middle-aged Jews meet at the intersection of fascinating news and personal angst. It's old media meets even older media, with reveals Phil Bronstein and Dave Pell of Next Draft. This is What Hurts, worrying about news since 2015. Okay, so this is the Dog Ate My Homework edition of What Hurts. Uh, I'm Phil Bronstein, and here with Dave Pell for, what, week five, week six? What, where are we? I think we're week six. And I've just discovered that all the brilliant notes for this episode and this podcast of What Hurts uh, that I've made, I mean, they were brilliant. I've left them somewhere, and I can't find them. So I'm completely winging it, and Dave, as always, is totally prepared. If only that they had some kind of technology that they could help one work out of a situation where they well, don't have some I, kind of content, but I, they wanted to get that content. I, I'm putting my the, what I use up to the microphone so people know. Oh, that's I, that's neat. I have yeah. I have. I wish we could do video. Paper. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's you move it. See how I look. You'd be more impressed. Let's get digital to start things off. All right. We're gonna start as we always do with a little game of what's behind the tabs. I'm going to uh, give you an incredibly creative and unique headline. You're going to try to guess the story that that headline refers to. And after you do or don't, we are going to have some incredibly thoughtful and insightful and often hilarious banter about it. So here we go with what's behind tab number one. Tab number one. Tab number one headline is Sir Fix A Lot. Sir Fix A Lot. Does this have to do with gambling? No. Games? No. Fix is the key word, but not fix. gaming. Fix. Not like Jim Fix, the dead runner. No. This one refers to the new uh, campaign tagline of Jeb Bush, which oh, is, of course— Oh, my God. This is the thing that social media had such a good time with. Well, like, they should. It's an incredibly weird tagline, the idea that this would change the direction it. of— the, Jeb can fix it. Jeb can fix it. I mean, it was a bad week for Jeb, and that tagline only adds to it. I keep thinking of that scene in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High when Spicoli says, dude, my dad's a TV repairman. Don't worry. I can fix it. <laughs> I, I think Spicoli would be probably polling better than Jeb Bush at this point. Yeah. The question really is, who's the consultant who came up with that? Yeah. I want to know. We want to know what Jeb is made of. And the way we find that out is to find out what happens to the campaign consultant or the intern, or whoever it is that came up with this, what are you thinking? So uh, you're Jeb, I run it. Hey, Jeb, I got it. Forget the exclamation point, that's not working. How about Jeb can fix it? Isn't the first thing out of your mouth is like, what, fix what, my campaign, right? Yeah, honestly, I thought of my cat. That's the only thing I think that needs fixing Fixed. around here. Yeah. But it was a bad week all around. you with your cat, and I don't think that's going to happen. And almost, uh, let's not get too personal here. An almost worst part of the week for him was uh, when he actually apologized to France because he made a joke about Marco Rubio working French hours, and he made a public apology to France. Dick Cheney must be rolling over in his grave right now. Um, if he were dead. Oh, that's not dead? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Anyway. I have, I have one for okay, you. Okay, go for it. Okay, the headline is... Amber waves of sand. Amber waves of sand? Amber waves of sand. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, this just happens to be a story from Reveal and the Center for Investigative Reporting, but <clears throat> we're not biased here. We pick them where we see them and find them. This is about the Saudis 
buying up large tracts of land in Arizona and going under for the aquifer and digging these deep wells and sucking all the water out and growing 16 square acres of alfalfa, which they then send back to Saudi Arabia for their cattle grazing, for their cattle business. So guess what? There's no more water left, or soon enough there will be no more water left, and Arizona will be actually as dry as Saudi Arabia. Yeah, water is the new oil. Water is the new oil, and food. Yeah, too. yeah. It was hard for me to explain to my kids this week in the Bay Area. It rained, and there was a World Series without the Giants in it. And my, neither of my kids could understand how either of those things happened. Well, you know, where we live uh, in Marin County, as soon as it starts raining, people have car accidents. Yeah, right. It's too slippery out there. Even a sprinkle will do it. Let's move on to tab number three, San Quentin Tarantino. San Quentin Tarantino. All right. As usual, I'm not doing well. I need to go to stage two. Do you have a clue? Do you have a hint? Uh, this has something to do with uh, a controversy involving Quentin Tarantino this week. Oh, I'm totally lost on that. Okay. Well, this was actually pretty interesting. For about the last week, Quentin Tarantino has been under increasing amounts of heat from the nation's police departments because he came out with a, a highly negative right. I comment about police calling them murderers and other uh, unniceties. And the police departments around the country, several of them have already called for boycotts of his new film. And the heat sort of got turned up and he wasn't saying anything. And then he came out in public and gave his first statement on it. And what was the big twist? He didn't apologize. And earlier in an earlier episode, we were talking about people who say whatever they want and seem to be all of a sudden getting away with it. This is like the era of the apology. And Quentin Tarantino didn't apologize. And so far, the world has not imploded. I'm not sure if he should have or shouldn't have, but besides that, the fact that he just didn't, to me, a public figure or a person in the limelight, not apologizing when the situation calls for an apology, I think not apologizing is the new apologizing. Is this, but is this not the world of Donald Trump? No, I think it is. Yeah, Donald says what he wants, and so far, no nobody's punishing. Yeah, no apologies is, is the new way. I think Maybe Jeb ought to have something else, a new sign printed up, no apologies here. Or I'm not sorry, Jeb. Or I can apology fix it. That might work. That would that would be using more of his brother's tactic. Just give an, in, an unintelligible sentence and get voted in. You did see that his his dad had a confessional book out. It wasn't even his own book. It was a biography where he talked about his kids. Right. Just buy it. I, I'm not even going to go into some of the right. stuff that he said. The timing of it is beautiful too. I hope if I'm ever uh, up for a, a big gig, I hope that my dad releases a book on my life right as I'm in the middle of it. Well, that's the movie The Candidate. There we go. All right. Let's move on to number four, tab number four. Go to college or die trying. Go to college or die trying. Um, is this posthumous degrees? No. Okay. Do they give those? That would be good, actually. I'm waiting. I'm a, few, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a few units short. <laughs> okay, go ahead. No, this one has to do with uh, an incredible, really, study that came out from one of the authors was a Nobel Prize winning economist. And the study showed that the life expectancy among white, middle-aged Americans. You know, I think it's something to do with your headlines. Because I know these stories. I mean, I read the stories. Their their death rate is going up. They're the right. only ones whose death sure, rate is going yeah, up. Right. So it's got to be your your yeah. headlines. I'm sure Alex say. Trebek hears this all the time. I'm just going to brush it off. But it really so is a that pretty. That makes you. Is that Vanna White? No, it's another show. All right. It's a pretty amazing story, though, when you think about it. 
as, as one of the quotes from this study, half a million people are dead who should not be dead. And it all has something to do with where they live, that they're white, uh, middle-aged, and not going to college. So although I was an English major and you didn't get much out of my college degree, at least there's some positive going to college now, apparently. It makes you live longer. Well, I'm glad you're here, number one. I appreciate that. And number two, I think uh, one of the things that I saw in that story was that suicide was one of the key yeah. components of this increasing number. Yeah. Both The Atlantic and PBS NewsHour sort of had headlines that suggested that despair is what's causing the change. That's pretty scary when you think about it. Hey, hey wait a minute. That's another Jeb Bush slogan. Despair. despair. That would work. Exclamation point. You're right. Yeah, it's uh, certainly he could. That's the one part I think he could play well. And it's also the one part that's true. Yeah, exactly. People would relate. Okay, so we will move on to. Thank uh, God, because that was really getting embarrassing. Let's do tab number five. It's the last one. Oh, come on. The headlines are hard. I don't think you should judge yourself based on your ability to answer. It's easy for you to say. Go ahead. Okay. I didn't get yours either, even though it was totally But unclear. I only had one because I lost my notes and I had the other brilliant ones in there. Right. Well, we're going to get you up on a computer one of these days and you'll be amazed how you can it's save something. It's on a computer. That's the problem. All right. Here we go. Yeah. This is uh, – my headline here is very, very confusing. So I don't expect you to get it, but it's an interesting story. It is heaven, hell, or millennial. Millennial is in Melania Trump. No, no, like a, a millennial. Like millennial, like people who don't lose their paper because they I, paper. Melania, Melania Trump might also be a millennial. I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. But if you can say that three times fast, I'll give you a prize. Yeah, if I was doing that, I'd be I'll, on regular you'll radio. You'll have a despair T-shirt. Go ahead. This was uh, the latest Pew numbers on religion in America, which is generally going down in terms of organized worship, but it's really plummeted among millennials. And uh, one of the most amazing quotes out of this study was that 5% of Americans who do not believe in God do believe in hell. Right there, if nothing else defines our listening base, what the kind of person we're looking for, <laughs> that's it, right? Worst case scenario, I don't believe in God, but I do believe in hell. This is, this is the, you know, Woody Allen supposedly diagnosed with anhedonia, I think they call it, which is the incapacity to have, to feel joy. That's what those people are talking about. And by the way, this is another Jeb Bush possibility. <laughs> hell exists. Although he wouldn't do so well with the evangelicals. Yeah, God is dead, but this is hell. And uh, I'm in it. Vote for me in November. All right, let's move on. Relax. All right? My old man is a television repairman. Got this ultimate set of tools. I can fix it. Our big topic this week is what we call the adrenaline culture. And that's the idea that people are moving so quickly in this culture that they're sharing ideas and coming to conclusions way before all the facts are in. And what I'm seeing out there is that people are moving faster and faster on social media, and that behavior pattern is actually working itself back into the mainstream media. So things are being reported before we have the facts. People are drawing conclusions before they have any of the data to make those conclusions. And it's just going faster and faster and getting worse and worse. And the, and the big example I saw this week that deals with that story is the story of this police officer, a school police officer in South Carolina. His name is Ben Fields. He, everybody saw him. His video went unbelievably viral when he pulled a African-American girl student out of her chair right. uh, in a classroom dragged her a little bit across the room, and the internet went crazy, and maybe justifiably slow. But what was interesting is two days later, 
the kids in the school after this officer had been fired, a ton of schools protested and had a march calling for him to be reinstated and said that the video didn't really show the whole truth. Now, I don't necessarily have an opinion. The video looked pretty bad. If it were my kid, I'd be pretty mad. But the point is, is that by the time we had the student reaction, the reaction of the people who were actually in there in the room and had the context, basically every single person with a keyboard had already chimed in about what this meant. It was about race. It was about education. It was about video culture. It was about a million different things and everything fit nicely into these stories. And then two days later, we realized that the kids in the classroom, who many of whom were also African-American, did not feel that the officer should have been fired, which is, it's not necessarily such a huge shock just seeing the video, but if you take the video and compound it with the reaction to the video in the media and social media, it's almost unthinkable that the kids would react that way. And I just see that as a trend where people are just waiting with their fingers above the keyboard and they're waiting for, a, it's almost like a word problem. They have the answer already and they're just waiting for the variables to come in so they can make their point with incredible speed. And it's not just happening in social media where it's less troubling. It's happening in mainstream media. Well, I think, I think the mainstream media piece of it is it seems to always be about competition. If you listen to pundits talking about it and journalism organizations debating it and journalism reviews writing about it. But I, I, I think it's hyper drama. I think it's capturing the drama of the moment and losing the context. I mean, the reality is, you know, there's a new movie out this week with Robert Redford playing Dan Rather and over the whole George W. Bush uh, National Guard scandal that got Rather essentially fired. I mean, that was a story that took you know, presumably weeks and months to research, and he still got it wrong. Or Stephen Glass, you know, the shattered glass guy from right. the New Republic, who just made stuff up. So I'm, I'm not so sure that it's a time factor alone, that it's a competition factor alone. I think it's a melodrama factor. You know, I was, I was watching, I mean, you make fun of me for watching CNN. I, I was watching CNN, okay, I confess. And there were, there were two things that were going on. One was... Ed Lavendera, one of their guys, was doing something about the biker riot in Waco in Texas, right? right? This was a couple of weeks ago. And they had new, quote, new video. So Ed Lavendera, the, the reporter who's doing it for CNN, he says, we have biker riot video you've probably never seen before. And, you know, after the break, we're going to show it to you. And guess what? You haven't seen it before unless you were watching CNN the entire day before when they had the video right. running the day before. So there is this sort of, you know, we originally started talking about adrenaline. There's this adrenalized version of life that goes on in mainstream media. It goes on in social media. Social media is more understandable because people, as you said, they're poised. But for, for mainstream media, I think what it is is it's really, you know, we want a drama. How much can we make this more dramatic? And, and I think that that's as much at fault as the need for speed. Yeah. I, I think one thing I found interesting or a story I found interesting in the last few years around this was the Gabby Gifford shooting where everybody was racing to get the story when uh, the congresswoman Gabby Giffords got shot a few years ago in Arizona. And NPR was actually the news outlet to report that she was dead, even though she's still to this day very much alive and they had to correct it later. But even though I, I see the melodrama angle, I do think there is a sort of this desire to be first that the internet has 
not created for sure. It's been there for a long time, but it sort of has accelerated and amplified and especially seeing NPR. I mean, NPR is not even a brand you associate with being first. It's not something you even look for from them. And they talk so freaking slow that even if they had the story first, they're going to be at best third or fourth reporting it because they tell the story so slowly and calmly. If there was a nuclear bomb hitting the office, they'd say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we just we, looks like we're finding a dirty bomb somewhere in downtown Manhattan. It's just a brand that you associate with very slow talking, thoughtful reporting. And yet they even got sucked into this. So it's like I almost I can see CNN trying to pretend they got it first. And I can see certain web new media outlets going for it. But I think when we see organizations like NPR and the AP on a couple shootings have gotten the facts totally wrong, and they were facts that weren't urgent. All right, but, but wait a minute. Yeah, not urgent. So the New York Times a couple of weeks ago did the Hillary Clinton story about the emails that she was under criminal investigation. And what did they have? Five corrections on that story? Now, do you think they were rushing to print on that story? Or do you think they were doing their slow slow the news New York Times thing. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's a it's a combination somewhere of both the speed is overwhelming and the accuracy is horrible. <laughs> what a great combination. Yeah, that's the another news. Jeb Bush. <laughs> yes. That's another Jeb Bush slogan. There you go. There is the news through the eyes of the prism of the what hurts viewpoint. I feel the need the need for speed. Here we go. Let's uh, move on as we do each week to our pain of the week. This is when we get even more disturbingly personal and share a pain uh, from our own lives. It's You can picture us sitting in a steam room. Phil is brushing the sweat off of his brow right now because he forgot his homework at home where the dog ate it. I had a brilliant uh, – you know, pain is usually something that stays with you. And yeah. this is how bad I am. Yeah, you left I've your, forgotten, left my pain at home. You, that's pretty good, actually. If you can bottle that, I think it would sell well. Unless so, you live in my home. That's true. Yeah, it's, you, as soon as you get through the door, it's going to start hurting, as it does for most of us who arrive home with our families. <laughs> that was easy. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. Let's do our hurt. Phil, why don't you give me your hurt first? Okay, well, the hurt that I unfortunately remember, it's not the best hurt, but the hurt I remember is it has to do with you, Dave. No, thank you. But let me give it some context. Since we don't want to be first, we want to be right. most accurate. Right. Let's not everybody hold on to your tweets here. Phil's going to round this out a so, bit for So you. even though you made fun of me for my, uh, for my old-fashioned media consumption uh, habits, newspapers and so forth, uh, I was trying to use my email account. It's actually a Yahoo account, which sort of tells you try not to laugh. Um, and I couldn't send or receive emails. And of course, I was desperately trying to go through news so that I could talk to you, you know, somewhat intelligently on this podcast. And I didn't know what to do. It, it's impossible to get through to a human being, impossible. So I was forced to call you up and to say, Dave, actually, I emailed you on my other account. And I said, hey, Dave, you know, I, I don't know if I can do the podcast this week. Uh, as it turns out, I shouldn't have done it anyway. But I, I just can't get on my, my email. And you said, hey, I know the guy who's in charge of email for that company. I'll see how much weight I have. So, okay, I thought, wow, I'm, you're doing me a big favor. You're asking him to do it. There's a lot of weight on this thing. And uh, literally about a minute after you sent this guy a note saying, hey, my friend and podcast partner, Phil Bronstein, is having trouble with his account. Can you help him in the mail? It started working. And the problem was I had too many emails in there. 
So that, to me, and on so many levels, was painful because I had to rely on a favor from you, and you were asking him for a favor, and then have, having asked him, it didn't. you didn't need it. Yeah, well, in a beautiful what hurts twist, I never got a response to my my email. Anyway. I so thought I, that I could. So that is that your is that your what hurts? No, that's not my, no that if my my not getting a response from the higher up someplace is what hurts. I do that every week, it, but I feel your pain. Nothing in technology works for me. I spend my entire life in technology, and nothing I've ever done has ever worked properly, including uploading this podcast. But here we go. Mine is uh, sort of in line with what I've been doing most of this week, and that is parent-teacher conferences, tis the season. Yeah. And both of my kids do reasonably well in school, and they're both pretty nice. And the teachers are nice too, but I just hate going to parent-teacher conferences. Both of my kids, as you know, are uh, we have a first grader and a fourth grader, so we're going to the elementary school thing. And it's always the same. My wife, Gina, and I are standing outside of the classroom, and there's another couple that's in there. And it sounds like a laugh track from a 70s sitcom in there. I mean, laugh after laugh, joyful remark, guffaws, high fives. And we walk in there, and it's like the parents of Saddam Hussein just walked into the room. And the teacher just sort of looks down at their feet. And then they make you sit in those remarkably tiny chairs. And I know you can't see me on podcasts, but take my word for it. I shop in the Husky section. And so I'm this giant human on this tiny little kid's chair because giving you a grown-up chair would just cede too much of their power in that situation. And then they start telling you these little things that your kid could do better as if you could do anything about it. Like, if my kids were more pleasant, I'd keep them home during the day and let them hang out with me. (laughs) But they're not, so I drop them off with them. I let the state deal with it for seven hours a day. And I wish I could do something about it. It's just the entire process, I find, is unbelievably humiliating even though my kids did fairly well. But that's my pain. I just, that's... I hate the situation. Also, when I was that age, I was a complete shit disturber, always making jokes, always acting up in class, always getting to trouble. And then I hear a similar thing about my kid. And the truth is, even looking back, I still think my jokes were pretty funny. I still think it was pretty cool. To snap that kid's suspenders. That was great. Yeah, that was, uh, I got a little bit more, a little bit more right, ironic. So, so it was ironic just, snapping. My first day of kindergarten which was about 1937, we get picked up in a Woody station wagon, right? All the kids in kindergarten. This is way before seatbelts or safety seats or anything else. So you pile us in the back. The first stop sign we came to, I opened the back door and ran out. So that was sort of the harbinger of my career in school. So I totally understand both you and your kids. But to me, when you were talking about it, it sounded like one of those moments in the sort of give an exchange of power or lack of power, that when you're in your doctors, which I happen to be today because I was going for my annual physical because I'm going to some exotic place this next week, when they're examining you and they go, hmm. Yeah. I Honestly, if my kids got more hmms out of their teacher, it would be a little better than what I'm getting. But <laughs> I see what you're saying. scares the crap out of me. I see what you're saying, though. I think if you went back to that stop sign where you jumped out of the woody, out of the station and wagon. And got back in? No, I think, every, if, I think life would be better. If we traced it, I bet we could find your notes for today's show.
All right, let's move on now to the bottom of the news while we're there. These are a few headlines or stories or media moments that stood out to us that seemed unusual, funny, hilarious, depressing, or otherwise worthy of noting. I'll start, Phil. No, no, you're, you're going to have to just go. Okay, I'll go. So there was a major New York Times story. I think it was the New York Times. It might have been the Washington Post, but a major story basically about Paul Ryan's biggest early challenge as the new Speaker of the House is making his office not smell like smoke anymore, <laughs> which I thought was amazing because Boehner— or, or booze. Yeah, because Boehner just smokes so much. Like it's going to a hotel room that's a smoking hotel. Like how, it might take him years. But I don't know if the Pentagon has the technology. And they have to have the towels changed more often. I think it would just be funny if he walked out of there after his first week and he was just incredibly tan and bursting into tears. Or, or, or coughing. The second one is, fits right into our media thing, and I think you'll enjoy this. We talk often about Vice and sort of the burgeoning industry of new media. Is this the Viceland thing? No, this is something else. So if you've remembered one of yours, I hold, remember hold one tight. Of mine. It wasn't the bottom of the news. It was a scarily top of the news. All right. Go ahead. Okay. You respond with that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to segue right into that, and no one will know that you forgot your notes today. <laughs> okay. Mine is very quick. It was that this week Vice announced that they're finally launching their cable channel, and they have raised an additional $200 million from Disney. So I just sit back and think about this is the brave new world of new media. They are having a cable channel and they're taking money from Disney. Yeah, fight the power. Fight the power. Like nobody who has ever even heard of Vice has cable anyway. I don't have any idea what they're doing. Shane, Shane, the co-founder of Vice and the, their personality, uh, told me some years ago that they were going to be Time Warner only bigger. So there you go. But what I was going to talk about Lay was it on me. In, the, in the adrenal gland issue adrenaline, rather, and the cortisol issue is that A&E, which has a 10% share in Vice, A&E is a partnership of Disney and Hearst, has decided to give one of their channels over to something called Viceland. Yes, this is it. This is the cable This is what you're talking about? That's what they announced. Okay, so you stole it from me anyway. But when, when, you know, when you're talking about, I mean, Vice, let's face it, it's fascinating. They have a huge audience. But w where did they start and where are they still to some extent? They're like guys whispering into cameras with gunfire going on somewhere in the distant background, and they have lots of tattoos. That is <clears throat> my prime example of adrenalized news. I'm picturing a Vice reporter like in a war zone somewhere, like ducking his head beneath the bullets and going, ladies and gentlemen, Dude. I just realized that I've. <laughs> forgotten my notes, <laughs> but I'm going to wing it. All right, let's move on. Here's a, a headline, I think a good one to end on. Uh, it sort of brings in all of the themes that we touch upon every week, really. And that's in LA Times. This is a real headline. This is why The Onion is struggling and why ClickHole is having problems and why there's no hope for Andy Borowitz. Actually, you there's a few reasons for that. you can't satirize life. It's impossible. Yeah. Certainly not media life. Here's the LA Times headline. Sylvester Stallone is back as Rocky Balboa. But this time, he's in a fight with mortality. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, seriously, that could All be right. the tagline I'm for our podcast, right? That the dog ate my bottom of the news because you cannot top that. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's really, it's a unique fight that Rocky is fighting. Brought to you by United Catheters. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really sad. And on that incredibly sad note, as we usually like to end on one of those, 
We'll wrap up today. We're coming to you from the Center for Investigative Reporting's Reveal Studios. If you want to know more about uh, Reveal and the incredible investigative reporting they're doing, go to revealnews.org. If you want to keep up with the news every day of the week, check me out at nextdraft.com and sign up for the newsletter or download the iPhone app. And we'd like to give a special shout out and thanks to Jim Briggs, our sound engineer and producer, who always, at least for one hour each week, is himself also in a pretty deadly fight with mortality. And with each episode, it looks like he's closer and closer to losing. And as we look at him through the glass, he appears to be in deep, deep hurt. Yeah, it sort of looks like uh, Rocky after 13, 14 rounds. Well, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like it, spread the word. Give it a good rating in iTunes. Spread the love. We need, we need, give us, we need. Anybody who finds my notes, please send them. You've been listening to What Hurts with Phil Bronstein of Reveal and Dave Pell of Next Draft. You're usually the announcer. This isn't my thing. Okay, ready? You want me to do it? Yeah. You do want me to do it. Okay. <laughs> no, I can do it. You want me to do it? <laughs> I can definitely do it. I can fix it. Okay. I can fix it. Dave can fix it. Dave can fix it.